0: All right, welcome, everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on this week's Sixers Beat, a part of the CLNS Media Network. How you doing, Rich? I'm good, man. So they've got Bryce Harper.
1: Who cares about the Sixers? They did.
0: <laughs> they did. <laughs> and I had the perfect timing of releasing a Jonah Bolden article um, about 10 minutes after the Bryce Harper news came out. Uh, that was not my most well trafficked article in my history at, at The Athletic. There wasn't a whole lot of interest in these Sixers backup big man rotation. It is hard to complain from our perspective, though, getting the, uh, you know, probably the biggest free agent signings since Moses in the town. Like, is that is that fair to say? I, I heard this being debated, actually. Somebody brought up T.O. And T.O. was interesting because... Technically like, a trade a,
1: to T.O., but, I believe. Yeah,
0: but it, because they came to agreement and, and what It's like a, a NFL version of a sign and trade. But... That was important because it was like so obvious. Oh wow, that team should win a Super Bowl or at least get to one. But when you start talking about 13 years and this guy's 26 years old, I'd have to go back to Moses before I think I found something that important, that meaningful, and that could really change the future of a franchise. But we do not cover that team.
1: It, it was cool. As, to, it was cool though, man. It was it was oh, a it, uh, it was a rookie move on your behalf putting the. Uh Putting the Bolden article out, but we let we just let Matt and Megan get well, all the I mean, get all the uh, the glory, which deservedly yeah. so. Um, and now Bryce Harper can buy Sam Hinkie's house. So <laughs>
0: yes, I will say there's no sport. I don't think, at least, where the difference between the interest level in a bad team and a good team is more drastic. Like you go to the ballpark when it's a great Phillies team, and there's an no electricity to it. And then you go there in a a seventy win season, and it's just it's just dead. And I'm very excited to have meaningful baseball back. Um, I'm very excited to see Citizens Bank Park electric like it was during that run. Who knows? Maybe we'll have a couple hundred more sellouts in a row. Uh, but that that is very happy to see it. Very happy to see it. Um, it
1: but we it are not your, a. It makes your summer so much better. It uh, is. 100%.
0: Awesome. 100%. Right. I, missed, I missed baseball in my life. All right. Moving on to the team that we do actually cover, another team that is not bad. Um, the Philadelphia 76ers, they've won now, what, they are 6-3 and three since the Tobias Harris trade. Most recently beat the Oklahoma City Thunder on the road. Uh, they were without Paul George, of course, six was without Joel Embiid, and lost a tough one last night to the Golden State Warriors. You know, I guess we'll probably start off there. Uh, that's most recent, the one that most people want to talk about. An interesting end of the game. One of the best halves of basketball they've played in that first half, and then a very interesting end to it. Uh, and and by interesting, I mean frustrating, and, and one that there's a lot of points we can debate. Your overall thoughts on their performance? You know, I I was although they
1: certainly slowed down in the second half, and I thought you know we can talk about the the late game situational stuff, and it kind of felt like. Uh, It felt like one of the games from the late Andy Reid years when the Eagles would lose when all we were talking about was the situational timeout and, you know, how the Sixers kind of approached time management at the end of the game. Uh, I thought the game wasn't lost there, though. The Sixers, a couple things. In the third quarter, Kevin Durant was a monster, and there's only so much you can do about that, but... Certainly, you know the, the Warriors basically had, you know, it was like a almost like a process Sixers lineup out there. It was like Quinn Cook and Damian Lee and Durant just willed them to. I think it was like a thirty nine twenty five third quarter. So you know, Drexel's
0: own Damian Lee.
1: I know we don't have.
0: There are not too many dragons in the uh, the NBA. So that is. It's nice to see him carve out a, a career. But you're right. He's a a little bit of a process player. Yeah. Yes,
1: and I just thought, you know, towards the end of the game, especially when they had Iguadala and Draymond and KD, in the game, it, it just felt like the Sixers weren't getting anything easily offensively. The Warriors have kind of been a team all year where they've, uh, they've been half asleep defensively, but they kind of showed me in that game that. You know, and it's not surprising. It's not something I didn't know already that they have an extra gear to get to, and they they defended Draymond defended Simmons much better in the second half. Uh, yeah, I think I think it's it's like you said, the the first half of basketball they played was just tremendous. I mean, Simmons and Harris were just attacking mismatches. They were getting out in transition. TJ was making plays. It was, you know, I, I know there was a lot of angst about how the game ended and. You know, some of the frustrating decisions and just missed open shots. I think they went, you know, before those two, uh, you know, the the Mike Scott foul and the Ben Simmons uh, missed free throw that did not hit the rim. I think, you know, the three possessions, or or no, Harris hit a three before then, but there were three possessions in a row, wide open J.J. Redick shot, and he is, my God, is he struggling, uh, missed. Open J.J. Redick floater, miss. Open Tobias Harris, three, miss. Uh, so so I, I get that those things were frustrating, but overall I thought the Sixers competed pretty well. And, you know, we we talk about how hard it is to play without Joel Embiid, and, you know, I think the, the last time we were in the Wells Fargo Center, they played the Portland Trailblazers, and they just looked totally outmatched. They, I didn't really get that feeling last night. You know, the, the Warriors – They obviously are the favorites to to win the title, and the Sixers battled them. And, uh, you know, they came up a little bit short. There are certainly things they need to work out, I think, on the offensive end. You know, I I thought Draymond really guarded Simmons well in a way that it really wasn't the case. When they played in Oakland, Ben was was fantastic. And Ben was really good in this game, too. But the the nine turnovers kind of, uh, you know, put a a dent in his performance. But, yeah, overall, I – I don't know. I, I I couldn't get too too frustrated about that game.
0: No, and I th- I thought that game, and I I haven't had a chance to go back and rewatch it. and I watched the uh watched it the initial time uh, in a sports bar with a whole bunch of analytics nerds, so I don't have maybe the best perspective on this yet. But uh you know, I thought that game was lost when JJ Redick missed that 3 and that floater. Like that's yeah. when I thought that was your chance. Those were good looks. Um, Redick is in a horrible slump and those kind of things happen. What doesn't happen is is maybe that end of game stuff. That Mike Scott Mike Scott foul is just inexcusable. That can never happen. Um he and maybe you want to say that the coaching staff should have communicated that to him a little more effectively. But a player's got to have some situational awareness, too. And you're going to, people are going to want to criticize the coaching staff and that's not like there's a 0% chance that foul was called for. Like, that is a, a player having a brain fart. And that – it just – it it can't happen. Like, that was a huge mistake. Um, The Simmons free throw, and I know Brett said that, that he told them to do that. I think I saw you going a little bit back and forth on, on Twitter. I think 10 seconds is too much time for that. Like, I wouldn't have done that. And the only reason you think about it is because the Golden State is such a good free throw shooting team, and Ben Simmons is not. But it's just – there's – I'd love to see the, the, the statistics on how frequently that missed free throw actually works, that intentionally missed free throw. I don't think people know how to do that. I think I've seen Danny LaRue mention this a lot, but, like, nobody can actually execute that well. Um, so
1: I like to like try, but I agree with you the success isn't high. Like, I don't think trying to miss it normally uh, – ever works. I think you basically have to rifle it off the rim. for
0: it to Yeah, work. so I, th- I think you just you take the 50-50 sh- shot that Simmons, a l- little better, 59% or whatever it is, shot, that Simmons makes that second free throw. Um, and then you hope you get the ball back. Um, you know, I don't think it, a lot of people said that you shouldn't have had Simmons bring the ball up the court with 20 seconds left or whatever it was. Golden State wasn't trying to foul him there. Like Draymond Green, that was not an intentional foul. Um, you can maybe argue that it should have been, that it was it was a good outcome before Golden State, and I think that is true. But the Sixers had to execute a play there. Um uh, I don't you know, it it is difficult when you're a primary ball handler and best sh- shot creator for others, and somebody you rely on for a lot of a lot of your primary actions is such a poor free throw shooter. But uh, my biggest my biggest complaint was a Mike Scott um foul. And then I do think I, – I, I just don't think I would have tried to intentionally miss that second one.
1: Mike Scott, to his credit, after the game said that was – I mean, Mike Scott did not say it in these exact words, but he said, yep, that was a brain fart. I got to be better. Brett obviously said – I mean, I watched the, the TV replay and you could see Brett was just like, you shouldn't have fouled there. And that's what he said after the game. <laughs> That was not smart. I mean, that was crazy. That you just wrapped the guy up. There's 35 seconds left uh, on a
0: one possession game. Yeah. I, I've, you, you almost never see that. It was.
1: Yeah, I've been I've been thinking about the free throw probably way too much because again, I don't think it's that important. Uh, in the overall context of, of what to take away from the game. Um, I I was thinking like. I wish there was, like, a fourth down bot that they have, the New York Times, though, where we could kind of see the probabilities, and there's no way that yeah. exists because there's probably just too many variables to even account for. Yeah, uh, I, I, I think I agree with you, though. I think, overall, you look at it, you say, all right, Ben, try and make the second one. We will foul right away. They will probably make two because they have two 90% free throw shooters. But right. You foul, maybe they missed one, and Katie did did miss one uh, after that. So, and, and then worst case scenario, you're doing that all over again with I don't know six or five or six seconds. I didn't I didn't love the way Simmons was going about that play though. I, I feel like you got to get him going downhill in some some way. He was like posting up Draymond forty feet from the hoop. I'm not sure. Yeah, he he was he, like he
0: didn't seem like he entirely knew how to attack Draymond's pressure for sure. He was thrown off a bit.
1: I don't think they were finding a good three-point look on that one. Yeah. So it was. Hey, look. Hey, you know, I'm not. I'm not trying to diminish that. I don't think they handled it at the end of that game very well. But, uh, yeah. The uh, speaking of Mike Scott, I, I always think back to his uh his opening press conference here. He don't give a shit, man. He's firing threes. Uh, yes. He uh. That was kind of the other takeaway from the game that I, I thought was interesting. And in that, the, you know, as soon as Boban is not not in the lineup anymore, now the Sixers are on the other end of that give and take when they're playing DeMarcus Cousins. And now they have the small centers that are shooting bombs and, and Cousins is bullying them on the other end. And I, both, both Bolden and Scott, I mean, they really couldn't handle Cousins down low. He's just too strong. And they both, you know, I talked to both of those guys after the game, and they said, yeah, you know, you just got to try and hang on and fight with them and, you know, do your best. But to those guys' credit, they, I think they made nine combined threes. And, you know, that's how you deal with, with somebody like, like Cousins. You, you put them in pick and rolls. And, you know, the Sixers put Cousins, they, they targeted them in a lot of pick and rolls in the second half. But a, a lot of those threes were just kind of, cousins helping too far off drives, but credit to uh credit to Mike Scott and Jonah Bolden for making threes. But I think with those guys you kinda did see the weakness on defense is that if if there is like a super strong guy who can post up, those guys aren't really equipped. You kind of saw that too with uh with Steven Adams in Oklahoma City the night before.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and, and even going back to the Blazers game, um the couple minutes that Bolden did play. Um, although he wasn't so much muscled out of the way for offensive rebounds in that one as he was just out too far on the perimeter, too far extended. But he's, you know, he it was great to see Mike Scott get that game. Like, he had been struggling a little bit from the perimeter. It's good to see Jonah Bolden continue to flash at times either a, uh, really hard ball that bounces off the rim, or, or, or one that he goes three for four from three. But it's good to see we're getting a little more of the, Dude, the ladder there. He's had a couple good games.
1: I was thinking about this. His three point percentage might be above his free throw percentage at some point. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's still got a little bit of a ways to go. Like, I think it's like fourteen percent, but it's it's not too far.
0: I think yeah. he's
1: I think he's only a thirty two percent three point shooter. But I think going into the year, we would have taken the thirty two percent.
0: Yeah, well, at one point he was down at like eighteen percent earlier in the season, so he's he's been shooting the ball better. I don't entirely trust it. Um,
1: <laughs> Fifty nine percent, you last, don't trust it.
0: <laughs> no, over, <laughs> over the last three or four games, he's been he's been shooting the ball well, which is which is good to see. What else? What else from that game? I guess going into Bolden and Scott, you know, before before I left for Boston, when they played Portland and got absolutely l- destroyed. You know, Brown mentioned about the backup center rotation. He's like, look, last year I played Amir all-regular season, and then when the playoffs came around, Ilya Sova was our backup center. And obviously it's hard to read too much into that now because you've got so many people in Embiid and Boban injured. But it does seem like he's really giving Mike Scott a, a, a legitimate run as backup center. He doesn't really have a whole lot of choice right now unless he wants to go with Justin Patton or apparently sign... um. Andrew Bogut out of the NBL, which which is apparently a a possibility that exists. Um, not that there would be a rule preventing it, but like it, didn't even think he was on the radar.
1: No, he owns but he owns a team down there.
0: Does he? Yeah, I mean, that's how they. I have not read too much about Andrew Bogut's NBL career.
1: That's how they lured him down to uh, to Australia. They gave him part ownership of a team. <laughs>
0: there you go. Um, do you think that? Mike Scott backup center is a real – like, if if you're ranking the probability of who gets that backup center role when the playoffs roll around, is that a real legitimate – like, is that a good chance of happening?
1: You know, I think it all kind of depends on the matchup. But, yeah, like, I, I, I mean, the guy is really comfortable shooting a three. And if if you want to say, you know, we, we got to get the 10 minutes without Joe, hopefully, in the playoffs and say, all right, well, this team – they don't have much of a uh, a post up threat, you know. Maybe they have a kind of a pick and roll type guy, where maybe Mike Scott's deficiencies are kind of they're not as damaging to your defense overall. But yeah, I mean, if you want to play with Simmons, it's kind of what they did with Darius Silva last year. Although I think Darius clearly is clearly def- a better defender than Mike Scott, just. I don't. I don't know. Mike Scott can't even measure up to the charge taking of of Silva. <laughs> but I, I think you know if you want to say, all right, let's just try and outscore these guys and and play five out and give Ben space. Yeah, I, I think there is a uh, a chance of it. I, I, I guess what I would say is that I have no idea what the hell they're going to do with the backup center option. They they have three options right now. Maybe four if Bogut comes here. And I don't feel like we're any closer to figuring out which one is going to get the the shot in the playoffs.
0: Yeah, I mean, I th- I think there will be matchups where Boban is a legitimate option, and then matchups where we got to figure out what the hell to do. Um, and Mike Scott I think will be one of the answers of what to do in those spots. You know, I think, I think it's pretty clear that they don't fully trust Jonah Bolden right now, which is not entirely you know, it's, it's, it's understandable to some degree. Like he is a rookie. He does make rookie mistakes. Every time I look at the numbers, the defensive numbers with him at center, I'm surprised at how bad they are uh, because they are really, really bad. And it's not to the point where you can look at those and trust them completely, but we are getting up to like, you know, 450 plus odd possessions of data. Um, and I think if you look closely, I think there's a lot of rotations that he misses a lot of times where he's a little over-eager, uh, a little bit of the Rashan effect, except that Rashawn didn't improve at all in three years um, that he was here. So, you know, I'm still pretty bullish on Jonah Bolden, long-term potential as a defensive center. Um, if they're going to tell me that they're not 100% confident in his being up to speed by the time the playoffs roll around, and I think Mike Scott is a, a, a pretty legitimate option. Um, not legitimate in terms of you're not going to worry about him defensively, but legitimate in that there is no other real clear-cut way to go.
1: I, I don't want to oversimplify it, but I also think you know what stat would separate those two, and it's not even a stat. It's that Mike Scott is a veteran and Jonah Bolton yeah. is a rookie. And yep. Brett... Not unlike a lot of coaches, I think, you know, Ty goes to the guy who's been in the league for a lot longer.
0: Right. right. A, a Ty goes to the guy that you can – it feels really dumb saying this after the mistake he made uh, last night, but a, a Ty goes to the guy that you can rely on uh, in terms of decision-making. <laughs> just,
1: just tell um, him don't foul when you absolutely yeah. shouldn't foul.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I kind of
1: – I've my Scott's growing on me a little bit, though. I kind of – he got, he he brings a little bit of an edge and Yes uh, he does. That, that helps, you know, I think I think, you know, for a for a bench guy that can be a useful tool.
0: Yes. Yes, yes it sure can. All right. Uh but real quick before we move on, a word from Robinhood. Uh, Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, options, ETFs and cryptocurrencies all commission free. While other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, Robinhood doesn't charge any commission fees at all. So you can trade stocks and keep all of your profits plus there's no account minimum deposit required to get started so you can start investing at any level the simple intuitive design of robinhood makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike with easy to understand charts and market data allowing you to place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone and while providing you with the ability to view stock collections such as 100 most popular with robinhood you can learn how to invest in the market as you build your portfolio Discover new stocks, track your favorite companies, and get custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood is giving listeners of the Sixers Beat a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. Sign up at Sixers.Robinhood.com. That's Sixers.Robinhood.com. All right, moving on, I guess let's go to Embiid. Uh, he had sort of an update before the Golden State game, so why don't you walk us through what he said and what your expectations are for the near future.
1: Well, first off, I was stunned that he talked. The uh, and, and there were a lot of people who were in there last night thinking, oh, man, this is going to be a bad update. And I was thinking, no, nah, it's probably not going to be a bad update because that would be Elton who would give it. But, yeah, it, it was very much a non-update. He just kind of explained why he was sitting out. And, you know, I think he talked about that the big thing and, you know, it's something in our writing that that he does not like to sit. And he talked that he he basically said that he's mature enough now to uh, to handle that. Like he's willing to sit down when the team says he should sit. He said that this was his decision. He came to the team before the All-Star break and, uh, or sorry, after the All-Star break and, and said that he wants to sit and, you know, just, it it had not been getting any better. And yeah, that that he was not only looking at this year's playoffs as, you know, a target date. He wants to be healthy for the next 15 years, which, which all sounds good. I, I don't really think it's, it's any bit of news. He said that he's going to be back by next week was as close as we got him to. He kept he kept saying, like, well, I'm not going to put a date on it, and we kept pestering him enough to, to where he said, no, I'll, I'll be back by next week. I don't know exactly what that means. But, yeah, he's he's going to be out for it seems like a few more games. It's just tendinitis in his knee. Worked out before the game, not like a goofball, which was different, but I guess when you don't play in an actual game – you take the the pregame workout a little bit more seriously. And, uh, yeah, that's about it.
0: Yeah, I mean, it'll always – the question will always be, like, how much is he really going to fix it right now? How much is it more getting him through the season? Um, I mean, this has been lingering now for, you know, two solid months. Uh, So is this really going to fix it? Is it probably something where he might need to take a day or two off down the stretch um, hopefully when you get into playoffs and the games are not quite as packed um, but then again you're playing more minutes so we'll see how this kind of lingers throughout the season um, it does seem like you said that he will be back relatively soon uh, which is good to hear but underlying knee soreness we'll see it's not the uh, not, not not the greatest not the greatest news, but not the worst update, I guess is what I would say. Yeah, and, and just so not every, much of an update either.
1: And just so everybody knows, he was asked about the All Star game. The explanation wasn't that good. It was unclear. I mean, it was like I was having soreness, but then for the All Star game, I wasn't having soreness. And you're thinking like, well, that doesn't make a ton of sense, but whatever. <laughs> the you know, at this point, it's like, all right, that's that's over with. Like you, you're dealing with this now, whatever. Yeah, so, and he, he did mention that the team had approached him even before, uh, you know, a couple weeks before the All-Star break, and they wanted him to take a little bit of time, but I guess he wasn't quite ready. He he did mention, too, that he thinks it's, uh, you know, with the team playing well and Tobias and Jimmy here now, that it's not the main uh, driving factor behind him sitting, but he does feel just naturally a little bit better. Like, these, these guys can handle it until I get back.
0: Yeah. Um. All right, so moving on from there to something that is somewhat related to Embiid. Josh Harris spoke at the Sloan Sports Analytics Conference, which is where I was and why you haven't seen a whole lot of activity from me these past few days. also why I've been letting Rich really run this podcast a little bit because I have not had a chance to watch the entire game. Uh, like I mentioned, I was in a sports bar. Last night, watching uh, with uh, with all these stat nerds up at Sloan, but Josh Harris spoke at Sloan, uh, then spoke to um, Jackie McMullen at ESPN, had some not entirely unexpected comments, um, but two that kind of stuck out. First of all, that would be uh, problematic if the Sixers lost to Boston, or I guess anybody else in the opening round of the playoffs. Um, It would be very problematic. It would not be what we're playing for. We'd be unhappy, blah, blah, blah. The city would be unhappy, yada, yada, yada. Uh, We have enough talent on our roster that if we play the way we're capable of playing, we can beat any team in the East, which, I mean, not earth shattering at all. Like I think everybody understands that there are expectations around the talent that has um, been, you know, put together here. Um, I think a lot of people want to read it in that. What does that mean? Um, Does that mean that, you know, There would be a coaching staff change if that happened or an overhaul of the roster. I don't necessarily think it means, like, there would be drastic changes, but it's just an acknowledgement that there is an expectation that they will get far in the playoffs. And the other thing is about keeping both Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris in the offseason. We gave up a lot to get Tobias and Jimmy on our team. We think they're exceptional talents. We're going to try to keep them. We know we're going to have to pay these guys in, appropriate, in an appropriate way, and that he gets it, it will be expensive. Um, which he said on the panel at Sloan, uh, basically reinforcing that he is going to do, or he is willing to do, what it takes to keep this core around, uh, which is something that Elton Brand has said during some of his media availability as well. So, again, nothing necessarily earth shattering, but the Sixers' managing partner did speak. So.
1: So on the on the note about the, the potential coaching change, Brett was asked about this during his pregame avail- availability last night, and I, I forget who asked it. Might have been Gordy Jones, who who basically was like, you know, Josh Harris had these comments about it would be a disappointment if you guys didn't make the second round, and he said, do you have any reaction to what he said? And Brett goes, no, I have no reaction, and that's all he said, and. I I, I think even everybody who who does not cover the team on a daily basis knows that Brett Brown is not that succinct when it comes to his answers, not even close. So, you know, there was no no follow-up to that. It was just kind of, you know, it's kind of awkward in the room when you get an answer like that because you're so used to him giving a detailed, kind of cheery, minute-long answer at least yeah and uh you didn't get that one there, so just file that away. I thought that was was odd i a couple of other writers there mentioned that they thought it was uh a little bit strange maybe maybe you just didn't wanna i don't know it was uh that was a little bit strange. The other part of the story that was interesting was you know and i I don't think this is anything uh that's surprising, but it seemed like Josh Harris kind of in detail. Described uh, how the Sixers ownership and the the front office clue Joel Embiid in when they make moves. And oh yes, yep, yeah, and you know they they give him a heads up. They he you know Harris said you know it's not like he's running the team. It's not like uh, you know if there's an awkward situation for him, maybe they they won't clue him in. But they you know it's it's kind of like what the Eagles do with with Carson Wentz, where they just you know he's he's going to be the the crown jewel of the team, and they they want him to feel somewhat involved. And yeah, I thought that was uh, I thought that was a it was pretty interesting. And b um, I think that's that's probably about right.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, NBA superstars have a lot. Like, I don't think people truly understand exactly how much power what these NBA superstars, these, these top five, top seven, top ten players in the game truly have, like they are the most important people in their organizations, um, not counting ownership. And that is true for almost every superstar in the league. Uh, that is certainly true for Joel Embiid, and it's good to keep him, you know, in the loop. Uh, and, you know, you can go back to some of the comments Brett has made, and he's gone out of his way a number of times here since all of these trades to bring in Butler and Tobias. And, he, you know, he, we need to be clear on something. Joel is still the crown the crown jewel. Um, And he has gone really far out of his way to make that point known. Um, They clearly want to keep, like you said, Joel involved, feel like he has a, um, you know, feel that he is included in these kinds of major discussions. It's, you know, it's it's the reality of NBA basketball in 2019. It's probably been the reality of NBA basketball um, the entire time. I think we're just now maybe a little bit more aware of it. Um,
1: I think the players are more aware of it now, too.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, but, I mean, that is I – mean, look, Porzingis just got himself traded. Anthony Davis just made ultimatum publicly to his team. Uh, LeBron James is literally building out his own roster. Very poorly, uh, but he's <laughs> building out his own roster. This is what this is what superstars do. It's just – it's the nature of the game. Um, Kevin Durant is – there's open speculation about where he's going to play. Um, superstars attract other superstars. They get to make their own decisions. They get to force their way to their own teams. Uh, there's more player empowerment than – acknowledged player empowerment than there's ever been in the sport and uh, they need they need to keep him happy like the number one thing that could go wrong in this rebuild is you can piss off Joel Embiid Uh, and that is it's very important that they don't do that it's part of the reason why um, not to get too far back into a tanking debate but why a a one year tank just to get Joel Embiid wasn't uh, wasn't necessarily what they needed to do because keeping Joel happy is extremely important Uh, having the You know, draft picks to make these trades, having the second superstar in Ben Simmons, having the cap flexibility to go out and try to get uh, role players, complementary role players is very important because you can't have you can't have Joel Embiid winning 45 games for you know six or seven years and pissed off and end up in an Anthony Davis situation because you cannot you are not going to win that staring match. So um, keep him happy, do what you got to do. Hopefully, Joel is responsible with the power that he does have. And we don't have to really talk about this all that often.
1: He is the most powerful guy in that, uh, that organization, and you do have to acknowledge that. Speaking of, uh, he could,
0: he could, speaking he, of the tank. He loves to bring up that he – Good. Well, I was just going to say he loves to bring up the fact that he dunked on Elton Brand <laughs> back when they, they played together for that, that preseason. He could still dunk on Elton Brand if he wants to, and I just hope that he doesn't necessarily abuse that power.
1: That would be mean if he was like, "I'm leaving." If, if you don't come into the gym and let me dunk on you again, that would be <laughs> that would be quite the story. Speaking of the,
0: it would be even meaner if he didn't do that while we were in the room, though. Like, we want to see that if that happens. Yes.
1: Uh, speaking of the tank, what uh, you know, I'm just curious about this because you mentioned you were at Sloan. What uh, just from reading Gonzo's article last year on this, is, is Hinky still like the biggest rock star in the world there?
0: I mean, he's, he's talking the entire time. It, it, it's funny. I'll run into. I probably wasted about a half an hour of Sam's time over the past two days uh, because there would be. You know, like a, all of the conversations at Sloan happened in all. Um, there's basically two hallways at the Heinz Convention Center uh, where this is taking place. And you've got everybody in kind of um, you know, the various lecture halls, or the various halls. Um, and then for the most part, people aren't. I mean, People are listening to that, but a lot of people are just out roaming the hallway, talking to people. It's a really great networking event. So I'd be out in the hallway, like Sam would be like, you know, down the hallway, 20, 30 feet, whatever, and at least four different times, a Sixers fan, because there's a lot of students at Sloan, would see both of us. And, you know, I'm more approachable because, you know, I'm not, um, I think you see an NBA GM as a fan, you can get a little bit intimidated. So he'd come up to me and he'd be like, oh, man, can you believe that? Like, Sam's right down the hallway. You could walk up and just talk to him. Like, what do you mean you could walk up? Just go up and talk to him. Uh, he is hounded pretty frequently there. Um, he was on a, 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 a lecture this time, uh, whereas last year he gave a, a talk. He was on a panel. Yeah,
1: he was getting, like, cheered uh, like crazy. A, a like
0: Pretty big ovation, yeah. <laughs> um, That's awesome. So that didn't happen this time, but he is he he is a busy person there for sure. Uh, he is a, a little bit of a cult hero. Yeah, well, um, that's uh which there, there's a surprising number of Sixers fans up there. Like, had a had a bunch of really good conversations with the Sixers fans that made the trek. Um, and all honestly, it's not cheap, um, especially if you can't get a student ticket. But I would certainly recommend it. It is. One of the better networking events of the season, and it's a it's a real who's who up there. So that's good. It's a good time. It's a good time.
1: Unrelated, I uh, I was looking at a couple of uh, of schedule related things, just you know where the Sixers are going to finish down the stretch.
0: Well, okay, before we get to that, uh, one real quick word from Bet Online. Uh, we're heading down the stretch run of the NBA season, and as an exciting playoff race unfolds, there's only one place to go for all of your sports betting needs. BetOnline.ag. Sports, casino, virtual casino, you name it, BetOnline.ag is Sixers Beat and CLNS Media's preferred sportsbook online and they're offering a 50% sign-up bonus if you use the promo code CLNS50. This week features a number of important games in the NBA schedule which could help define the playoff picture. Will Boston turn around their slumping ways when they take on the defending champion Golden State Warriors? Can Kawhi Leonard slow down James Harden and the Houston Rockets? You can join in on the excitement by going to betonline.ag. Over, unders, prop bets, futures, you name it, BetOnline has it. Once again, CLNS Media and BetOnline are offering you a 50% sign-up bonus if you use our code CLNS50 with your first deposit. Go to clnsmedia.com win. Use promo code CLNS50 for your 50% sign-up bonus today. BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Okay, moving back to the upcoming schedule.
1: I was uh, I was looking at the at the schedule and just you know just just looking at some of the other teams that the Sixers are jockeying for uh, for position and I think they have a really good chance to get the three seed with uh, yeah. my God what a disaster the Celtics are I that effort they gave today for about three quarters was just awful and then uh, you know I know everybody says oh you got to remember the Pacers and they're they're hanging on without Oladipo and. I agree. They've done a good job. They've also, they've lost three of four at a pretty mediocre competition. They are, I don't know if, are they exactly tied with the Sixers right now? It's either they're tied or a half game. No,
0: they're, yeah, they're a half game. Open. Okay.
1: Uh, Their schedule down the uh, down the stretch is hard. It's a six hardest schedule. Yep. And so, you know, I think, realistically, it's, it's going to be a big game next Sunday when those two play, and when the uh, the Sixers play the Celtics, I think just a few days after that or, or maybe a couple weeks after that. But they'll get home games against both those teams. The other thing I wanted to note, just because we joked about what a what a nightmare first-round matchup Brooklyn would be, there's no chance the Sixers are going to play Brooklyn in the first round.
0: No. and that, Like you said, Pacers have the sixth most difficult schedule. The Sixers have the sixth easiest schedule. Yeah. Um, they really, if you look up and down their, their the Sixers' remaining schedule, like they've got one more against Houston, one more against the Pacers. I guess you could kind of include the Kings as a tough-ish game. One more against the Bucks, and one more against Boston, and then the last like ten or twelve games or so are really easy. Um, and even before then, you've got the Magic and the Bulls, and like there's just there's a Cavs are in there. There's a lot of really winnable games. If the Sixers, you know, assuming health from Joel Embiid and and the rest of the players, but Embiid because he's currently battling through um, the knee soreness. But assuming reasonably good health, they should win a lot of games coming up. Um, I would be surprised if the Sixers don't move up to three. And then you're looking at a Pacers-Celtics 4-5, which is probably good for Boston, all things considered, uh, for a team that is, like you mentioned, struggling really badly right now. And like you said, that would put them out of the range of the um,
1: The Celtics in the first round. Actually,
0: yeah, yeah, but the Nets are currently the 60s.
1: Their schedule is so brutal down the stretch, man. I think it's the The, second-hardest one. The Nets... You've okay. got to look at their schedule after, like, March 13th. It is literally a hard game, and most of them on the road the rest the, of the, the way. The
0: problem, though, is the other two teams are Detroit and Orlando. There's no shot. Like, One of those is going to beat the Nets. I'm telling you. It's going Okay. It's okay. Yeah. I would certainly say the Nets are the best team of those three, but now that I look at it, you're right. Brooklyn does have the third toughest. Orlando has the fifth easiest, and the Pistons are... Uh, twenty second yeah. toughest. So, yeah. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, good. What What else we got? The Nets. that's do cause the Sixers. Uh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Some of those games are fucking ugly. So.
1: Oh my God! They just pick and roll in the death and.
0: Yeah. I I would like to cover as many playoff games as I can, so that would be a good outcome. Yeah.
1: What uh? I can. What do you make of Reddick's struggles
0: recently? So. You know, I think the real easy narrative is that it's because Joel Embiid's out. What? And because the struggles perfectly align with that, and the struggles are so bad. But he's he's had a lot of open looks that he's just missed. Like, there are times when you can see the tougher, you know, defensive pressure. Like, when he plays Boston, he struggles to get easy looks. And it would be real easy to say, like, he doesn't have Joel, so he's not getting easy looks. I. Is there, like, a degree of truth to that? For sure. Like, Joel gets him space. There's no doubting that. But he's also had a heck of a lot of really easy looks lately. That He's just, I mean, he blew a layup the other day. He blew a floater yesterday. Wide open three-pointer. Like, he's had very makeable shots that he's just missing. So I would say there's some portion of it that is Joel being out. And there's some portion of it where it's just a, a natural slump that you go through. And it looks really bad because they both kind of aligned at the same time. Yeah, honestly,
1: the Sixers going 3-2 and two in this stretch with Redick playing awful without Embiid is actually like, it's not bad, you know, when you look at the opponents. And he's shooting, I think in those last five games, I believe it's the same thing. I believe it's 25% from the field, 25% from three. That's, uh, that's not great, Bob. And, yeah, you're, I mean, if you remember when... When Reddick got Embiid sick, and Embiid was joking about how he got him sick because he had Reddick had missed a game due to rest and and another one due to illness, and he he gave him a hug and he was happy to see him and he was contagious. I mean, I, I think Redick is going to give him a pretty pretty big hug when he sees him though, again, though because <laughs> like I, it's it's definitely a two way street where the the space that Reddick Gives and the the gravity that he has gives Embiid you know space to to roam on the block, but I I mean that that dribble handoff is it's JJ's bread and butter and you know I, I agree with you he's just missing a lot of open looks, but when when you're struggling you want to get him back in the rhythm what he's comfortable doing and that's that's taking those handoffs from Joel he uh yeah he's definitely struggled you know it's funny I, I was watching. I thought about this after the uh the Thunder game when it seemed like Jimmy Butler was passing up layup after layup and and Mike wrote about that on the Athletic. I am stunned at how good like Jimmy Butler's on-off and advanced numbers are. Yeah. They're awesome. I mean they they're basically right yes. in line with the rest of his career.
0: And it doesn't feel that way? You, he he's had a really weird couple of weeks. Like, he'll pass open open shots, he'll have room coming off a of pick-and-roll, or he'll have a, a mismatch in the post or in this isolation, and he'll just pass up those shots. And then he'll take a, a really high degree of difficulty shot, and then he'll get to the free throw line seven times, and he'll look up at the, end of the night, and he'll have, like, 26 and 6, and he'll be like, oh, wow, I didn't, like, it didn't even feel like that happened. Um. So he, he's been really tough to gauge his... Defense is on and off. Like he'll have some plays where he's really, you know, locking his guy down, and some plays where it seems like it's not quite there. It, he's been overall on the whole, he's been good, but it still feels like there are times when it's been frustrating too. So it, it's just it's just been weird. It, it's, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know how to describe it.
1: I agree, I, and I'm wondering if that's a positive because when it's not weird or if they can get it to not be weird is like, are the numbers just going to be awesome? Is the impact going to be just just crazy? The the efficiency that he could play with it's speaking of the threes. I feel like the only three he likes taking are transition pull-ups on the right side of the floor, whether that's a, uh, you know, one that he pulls up on the dribble or one that he, uh, He'll get like a, a cross court pass from Simmons, and he'll just fire right away. I, for somebody who's so reluctant to shoot threes, it's uh, it's strange to me that on those he turns into, uh, you know, JJ J. Redick hunting them, basically.
0: Yeah, I mean he he had gone he had gone what I think like before that Golden State game he had gone five games without making a three, um, and that is not uh, you know, that's it's not great. Um, and a lot of those are. It does seem like he passes up a lot of open catch and shoot threes, uh, still, and you wonder if maybe a, an easier look would help avert some of those down periods. Um, it is good in some ways that he has been so willing to sacrifice his own offense. Um, That's what we're asking him and, to do. Not necessarily. Yeah. It is. It is. Uh, you know, we we said if he scores 15 points and plays lockdown defense, we'll take that trade off with this talent. Um, like I I think I said on my last pod, my issue is I think he's just not quite there defensively at that level, at least not consistently. Uh, so if my biggest complaint at the end of the season is that Jimmy Butler is happily taking a backseat offensively, like, I'll live with that. Um, you know, I think this roster is constructed where you have so many different offensive talents and so many different people who can go one-on-one or attack a mismatch. When Butler gets a mismatch and lets him off the hook, that's where I'm going to be the most frustrated. Um, but overall shot totals you know i'm not if if he's happy in that 12 to 14 range like he has been at least for the beginning part of the Tobias Harris era like that's great i just want to see him when he has that clearly exploitable mismatch i'd like to see it a little more frequently yeah and i'd like to see that defense come up to the level that i think we all hope for
1: yeah and i, I you know i feel like we complain about him a
0: lot but
1: just just looking at the impact, it seems like he's doing pretty good and I wonder even if uh even if I'm not totally thrilled when he runs those pick and rolls and you know, he hasn't been great in late game situations a lot if we're being a little bit nitpicky and a little bit unfair to him, but I guess that's something we'll we'll continue to look at. Speaking of that uh that Oklahoma City game, Tobias Harris was so good in that game.
0: Incredible. Yep. Yeah. Yep.
1: He was yeah, you know, and I, I think even outside of Redick struggling, he did not play that well against Golden State. I felt like, I don't know, it felt like to me. I, I got to rewatch it the, the second half, but it felt like he had somebody like Quinn Cook on him a lot, and he just didn't exploit that matchup in the way he did against Oklahoma City. But Oklahoma City, whether he had Stephen Adams or Nerlens or Dennis Schroeder, all shapes and sizes, all all speed type speed type of players. He was just destroying them in a bunch of different ways, you know, getting to the cup, hitting step back threes. That was, uh, hopefully, that's a preview of, you know, something the Sixers, you know, when when the playoffs get hard and there's a there's a certain matchup they're willing to exploit. It, it was very easy offense. They were they were basically just trying to screen with with Redick or or somebody who they thought, you know, or sometimes it was Mike Scott. Where where they thought they'd get a mismatch onto uh onto Tobias and he he killed it.
0: Yeah, no, he's I mean he he struggled a little bit against Golden State. Um, and for sure if he would have had a little bit better of a of a game, they probably win that one. But up until that point, he had been just absolutely killing it. Um, 22 on 55% shooting from the field. Uh, he has the way he can you know I almost call him like a chameleon offensively. Like if they need him to just be a spot up three point shooter. With Joel on the court and maybe attack a close out and and play in transition, he can do that if they need him to bring the ball up he can do that if they need him to run a pick and roll and and beat and butler go go to the bench he can do that too um and the way he can score in a number of ways it really does like he he just he he stepped on the team and he 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 played a high level role and he did so right off the bat with barely knowing any of the offense or any of his teammates and that really speaks to his uh his talent level he's he, He's been real good, and I think he's going to be real good in the playoffs too. Uh, and he's made some one-on-one defensive plays too, which is nice to see. And I'm probably going to give him a hard time defensively because he has more than his fair share of lapses off the ball. But at the very least, you have a guy who's you know, six nine and has the physicality to compete one-on-one man-to-man in a number of different matchups, which at least provides value defensively, even if maybe... He's not as consistent of a player on that end as he may, maybe could be one day. All right. Uh, I think that's probably about all that I have. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon.
1: Amen. I attract clientele. My mic check is right for death, breathing the sniper's
0: breath. I exhale the yellow smoke a Buddha through righteous steps.